we need rest. We need to waste time. And your life gets better when you do slow down in that way. If you're just constantly go, 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 chasing after the next achievement, you never get to savor what you have done and how you have grown. And so that's another thing that I go into in the book is just how to practice savoring positive moments again, because time really does seem to slow down when we pause to savor. It improves our memory function, it improves our ability to be creative and have insight. Our lives are just way more rich and meaningful when we're not just constantly blowing from one thing to the next, one achievement to the next. Hey everyone, how you doing? It's Maria Sansone here and you are listening to Mom to Mom, the podcast. Okay, so today's show is all about laziness or lack thereof. Have you ever been accused of being lazy? Do you feel lazy? Do you have sloth-like moments? <laughs> if that's the case, this one is for you because today we are giving you permission to take a beat. Take a breath, hang out, relax. Well, not me so much, but social psychologist and my guest today, author Dr. Devin Price is giving us that permission. So inspired by his own life's experience, paired with science, he wrote his very first book called Laziness Does Not Exist. I was so interested in this premise, I had to talk to him. So today we're diving into how society places so much value on productivity and how damaging that can actually be for us. So Dr. Devin offers tips to disconnect and embrace unstructured time. Okay, I like this. And if that wasn't enough, he's now written a second book called Unmasking Autism, looking at how individuals like himself who are diagnosed as autistic later in life can begin to understand how they protected their needs over the years. In other words, how they masked those symptoms of autism and those needs. So super interesting conversation. I might say this is one of the smartest individuals I've ever spoken to, maybe in my whole life. So a lot to unpack. We cover a lot of ground, but you guys, this is all such great stuff. So here is my chat with Dr. Devin Price. Dr. Devin, welcome to the show. So good to see you. Hi. Yeah. Yeah. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. So I was scrolling the interwebs as I do. And going down rabbit holes, as I tend to do. And somehow I came across an article that you had written and it pointed me towards your book, Laziness Does Not Exist. And I thought, brilliant, love it, need to dig in and find out more about this. So I'm so glad that you're here today because I love this premise. And especially because a lot of our listeners are moms and parents, I think that this is going to hit home for a lot of people. So let's talk about it. Let's start with how you define laziness. Let's start there. Yeah, so laziness, it's a word that we throw around for a lot of different situations where we're frustrated by either our own uh, lack of action or someone else's lack of action. But ultimately what I um, kind of break down what we normally call laziness is just someone facing a barrier that we either can't see or we don't think is legitimate enough to explain why, there's, why they are struggling. So it's not that someone, you know, lacks the motivation or that someone wants to just disappoint other people or fail at their goals because 
who would want to be in that kind of situation? It's just that someone has too much on their plate. They don't understand what's being asked of them. If it's like, let's say a really complicated assignment that hasn't been broken down for them, they're facing too many challenges, challenges. They're exhausted from depression, ADHD, the pandemic. There's always so many barriers that we're facing that get in the way of us taking action. And it's just that we're so hard on ourselves and on other people sometimes that we don't recognize those barriers as legitimate reasons to ask for help. And we certainly don't give ourselves permission to be quote unquote lazy because we value output so much and productivity that to sit down and relax just seems like we're doing something terrible. Yeah. And I write in my book about how it's really frayed our relationship to our bodies and it's really frayed our relationship to consent. Frankly, we have this belief in our culture that productivity is always superior to rest and recuperation, that saying yes is always superior to saying no and taking on more is always better. And when that's your baseline, that means you're not going to listen to your instincts when your body is telling you, I am so fed up with this. I am at my capacity. Even something as simple as like, I can't take a bathroom break right now. I need to finish writing these emails. You know, it happens on the micro and the macro level. We aren't listening to ourselves because we think we always need to do more and earn the right to say no, which is so twisted. When you spell it out like that, it almost seems dangerous not to be listening to your body and to take that break. Absolutely. And we do know that, you know, burnout, we talk about burnout in our culture, like it's this small scale thing because it's so common, but burnout is really psychologically devastating. When people don't rest their bodies and minds, they can lose the ability temporarily to feel compassion for other people. They can lose the passion that they felt for their work, especially if they're in really emotionally challenging work, like social work, education, parenting, anything like that. And it takes a really severe physical health toll as well. It really can be dangerous. We've talked a lot about burnout on this show because a lot of moms really face that. And, you know, not a whole lot you can do. And there's a whole family that you've got to raise. So I know that people are listening going, yes, I feel this. So laziness does not exist. As I said, the title grabbed me right away. Why did you want to write an entire book on this? Well, I had my own struggle with it that really changed everything for me. I was a total workaholic for, you know, the early part of my life. I knew when I finished high school, like, I want to be a psychologist. I want to, you know, get a PhD. I finished college early. I blew through my PhD as fast as possible. I graduated at 25 and got my doctorate. And then like a week afterward, I became debilitatingly sick. I had these ridiculous fevers that would hit me. Every single night from February of that year, all the way through till November of that same year, every single night I was getting 103 degree fevers. I had a heart murmur. I had anemia, like severe anemia and doctors could not figure out what was going on with me. I had all these tests, you know, lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, all this stuff. And it just came down to the fact that I wasn't eating enough. I was working out too much. I wasn't resting and I was working, working, working all the time and thinking that's what I had to do if I wanted to be like a tenure track professor and be a success in life. And when I realized that that kind of life was not going to be sustainable for me and kind of gave up on that job path, that idea of being like a hotshot tenure track professor, it really made me sit down and reevaluate everything about our culture, productivity, and how I had been defining my worth as a human being by my productivity because it was just so sick and it couldn't go on. 
Not uncommon, but why do you feel like you were putting so much pressure on yourself to be successful? There were a lot of different factors. You know, my my dad grew up in Appalachia in a really rural area, and it just always had that generational trauma of worrying about money kind of pushed onto me. Life felt very precarious. And I was also a really awkward kid. Um, I didn't know I was autistic yet as a kid, but I knew I was awkward, right? People treated me differently. And so, but I was smart. So I had this perception that I can't count on other people to take care of me. I'm going to have to make it on my own because I struggle to relate to other people. And I just have this family history of of struggle and trauma around money. So, and I think a lot of people in America can relate to this, right? Like if you have any of that precarity in your life, you're like, I just need to achieve, 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 because that's the only way I'll ever be safe. And it just took me to the most absurd, like extension of that, basically. And I think there's this idea that we have as a society that if we're not putting one foot in front of the other, like if bodies in motion, you know, bodies in motion stay in motion. If we're not physically moving, we're going backwards or we're just stagnant. And what your book is telling us is no, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. We need rest. We need to waste time. And your life gets better when you do slow down in that way. If you're just constantly go, 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 chasing after the next achievement, you never get to savor what you have done and how you have grown. And so that's another thing that I go into in the book is just how to practice savoring positive moments again, because time really does seem to slow down when we pause to savor. It improves our memory function. It improves our ability to be creative and have insight. Our lives are just way more rich and meaningful when we're not just constantly blowing from one thing to the next, one achievement to the next. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Do you have some tips for being lazy? I know this sounds kind of crazy because it should be simple, right? Just be a sloth and be on the couch and watch your favorite shows. But I find that I try to be productive even in my laziness. It's a little bit of a sickness. Like I'll be sitting there and go, well, I could research this or I could do that or even play Wordle. I'm like, oh, I'm being productive while I'm sitting. Everything that you're telling me is telling me that that's actually not pure laziness. This is not pure rest for my body. So what are some ways we can can actually like fill our tanks? Yeah, I think, first of all, get off the apps because everything is so measured and optimized now. And I struggle with it constantly, too. Right. Like there's no none of us are so enlightened that we don't feel that pressure when we have our every little move being tracked and measured and like Duolingo, right, was another big one for me. Like I should use my free time to learn a new language. That's not rest, right? That's you're going back to school. You're doing work. So get off of the metrics. Try something that you're bad at and actually see if you can enjoy it while never being good at it. That was another one that was a really important exercise for me. Oh, Because I had that gifted kid, like achievement, straight A student, drive to be good at everything and give up on something if I couldn't achieve at it. So find something you actually just enjoy doing that you're not good at and just enjoy it for the process. Hmm. Um, That's another one I really encourage people to do. And I think on a more kind of big picture level, take stock of your life and look at how you spend your time and see how that's out of step with what you really value and what really reflects who you really are as a person, because it's so easy on a day-to-day level to get swept up in. I'm answering this email. I'm taking these meetings. I'm not spending time with my kids doing something that we actually all enjoy together. I'm not pursuing an art or a creative outlet or a sport that 
sure, maybe I'll never make money off of it, but that's not the point. In fact, the point of it is that I'm never going to achieve and my brain can tell the difference and my body can tell the difference. I think taking stock of where your life gets out of step and what you can cut back on so that you can find more time for play and wasting time, uh, that can be really beneficial too. So we've been focusing a lot on adults and how rest is so important and just the art of doing nothing is so beneficial for us and our bodies and our minds and spirits. Let's shift our focus a little bit to the younger ones, little kids, even teenagers who are, I mean, I see them, they're striving already for success. And whether it's trying to get into college or just trying to ace the test or whatever it may be, their little brains are on overdrive too. So how important is rest and laziness for them? It's so important developmentally to have a lot of unstructured time because that's how you learn to really have agency over your own life as a person. You know, you have to have open time to be creative, to be able to sit with boredom as torturous as it can be. I think we all remember those feelings of just like endlessly boring days as a kid. A lot of good mental and creative skills come out of having that time. And we just know from a lot of neurological and cognitive psychology research that people store information better in their brains and more effectively and form more connections between the information they do learn when they have time to really just kind of sit and reflect and daydream and read a book outside or just doodle in a notebook while kind of thinking about what happened to you earlier that day. It doesn't look productive in the most literal, you know, getting an A on a test, learning learning a new skill, getting a baseball trophy sense, but it's really important for just building those inroads in your brain to be able to be a really dynamic, adaptable person. I remember reading an article about a parent long time ago who went into their child's room and the child was just staring off into space staring at the wall and the parent was getting concerned because every time they'd walk into the room, the child was just kind of gazing. And so the parent took the child to the doctor or the psychologist or whatever. And after the assessment, the doctor said, your child is daydreaming and it's wonderful. (laughs) And, you know, I feel like in today's world, parents are so, they are overbooking kids like crazy. What would you say to parents who just have their kids scheduled to a T? You go from sports to after school to, you know, learning a language and they just have them booked solid with no boredom, no free time. Yeah. The first thing I would say to those parents is I would want to extend them a lot of compassion because I think that frenzied overscheduling comes from a place of really genuine fear. And I think even the person's story that you just told, like you're worried that your kid's not going to get ahead in life. You want them to be okay when they're grown up and you can't take care of them. And so I think sometimes out of that fear of, am I doing enough as a parent? You're putting a lot of pressure on yourself and the culture has put a lot of pressure on you to be this super parent, this super productive person. And then it just spills over and down onto your kid and leaves them feeling completely frenzied. And it can really have you two at each other's throats sometimes with all of the stress and even resenting each other sometimes in that parental child relationship. So it's very natural that people living in our culture feel this way and feel that pressure. So if you can take a step back and really reconnect with your kid and kind of break down where that fear is coming from and the fact that you're both facing a lot of stress that's coming from those external sources, I think that's when you get to have these really productive conversations about the fact that, yeah, modern life is very demanding and scary and we all worry about 
how we're going to get by in a world that is this competitive. Because, you know, no parent needs to be perfect. You are going to be affected by the outside world. It's about working on yourself and working with your kid to develop the tools for how am I going to handle this pressure? How am I going to learn to say no to things? I think that's maybe a great place to start with you and your kid, depending on their age. How can we practice learning when to say no or when we can communicate I'm at capacity? Learn it for yourself and model it so that your kid can take care of themselves that way, too. Yeah. And something that you said just now is so wonderful. And I wish that I want people to hear that, to have compassion for, especially in the parenting world, it can get very judgmental. We all have the same goal in mind, right? We we all have this fear. We all just want our kids to, to be happy and healthy. But yeah, I feel like if people were more like you and had compassion, came from a place of compassion before judgment, that's that's a good thing. Speaking of happiness, I think that's the goal for everybody. And where does happiness intersect with this idea of laziness not existing? Yeah, I mean, I think happiness, it can be or feel like a fleeting emotion, but we can all find fulfillment in our lives. And so one thing that I talk about in the book as, again, kind of a big picture view of how to break down your relationship to productivity and laziness, if you have kind of a dysfunctional relationship to it is to clarify your values. So there's this values clarification exercise in the book, but you can also find it on some like therapist resource sites online for free, where you really just sit down and think about, if I could only make my life about a couple of things that matter most to me, would it be creativity? Would it be connection? Would it be volunteering in my community? Would it be music? What what are the things that I really believe in that out of a huge list of life's demands, these are my top two or top three things that actually matter to me. And then again, asking yourself, how often am I actually being intentional about making time to honor the side of me and what I stand for? Because it's when we are just breezing through life on autopilot, trying to just kind of get through this week. And it's every week that's like that, you know, because we're so stressed out. That's when we lose touch with what actually matters to us. And so, of course, we feel unmotivated. Of course, we feel stressed and exhausted. We're putting a lot of energy into things that don't matter to us. That's a really inauthentic life. And anyone would be sad and miserable living that kind of life. So it's all about who can I say no to? Who can I disappoint? What am I going to let drop so that I can prioritize the things that actually do fulfill me and that, I'm, that I feel almost called to do as a person? So you've written a whole book about laziness not existing and the importance of resting, but here you've written a whole nother book. <laughs> so you're kind of an overachiever yourself. I'm, I'm a total um, hypocrite. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But let's talk a little bit about your second book. Um, congratulations, by the way. It's it's no easy feat to even put pen to paper for one book, let alone two. So this one is called Unmasking Autism. And we talked a little bit about your story with that. But tell us what inspired you to write this book? Yeah. So as I mentioned, after I finished my PhD, I didn't yet know at that point in my life that I was autistic and I was super burnt out and floundering and sick, as I described. And it was around that same time that a relative of mine who had just left for college and was really struggling with that transition to college, he got assessed for autism and got diagnosed. And he kind of pulled me aside and pointed out to me how almost everyone in our family had these kind of autistic traits. And even though I had a PhD in psychology, I knew almost nothing about what autism actually looks like, especially how it looks and feels in an adult. So I didn't find out. I didn't uh, until, you know, 
right around then when I started looking into it for myself. And I've learned since then, there are a lot of people, especially marginalized people, trans people, people of color, women, they don't find out they're autistic until late in life. And they've really struggled to understand themselves until that moment of self-discovery. And so that's, those are really the people that I wrote the book for. How did it feel getting that diagnosis as an adult? How were you able to process that? It definitely happens in stages. At first, I really felt denial when my cousin brought it up because all I had in my mind was the negative stereotypes of what autism is. So I didn't want it to be true. And I thought that if I had this disability, it meant, oh, I'll never be able to have meaningful relationships. I'll never be able to cope in a fast paced work environment. You know, I felt you know, a lot of negative emotions and grieving about what I thought I wouldn't be capable of anymore. But uh, once I moved past that adjustment phase and started meeting other autistic people and other people with mental illness and disability and started to really just internalize that we're just a different way of being. There's nothing wrong with us. We're just a source of human diversity like anything else. Then it started to finally become something I could take pride in and really see as a part of my identity, just like being trans, you know, just like being a psychologist. It's just part of your life story and it's not a negative thing. It's totally neutral. So what do you mean by unmasking autism? Yeah. So as I mentioned, I didn't find out I was autistic until my late 20s. A lot of people who, if they don't get diagnosed as a kid, if they slip through the cracks, they end up having to mask their symptoms because all you know growing up is people respond to you as if you're saying something weird, you're acting weird. You don't know why you struggle to connect or why you find, you know, loud, bright spaces really uncomfortable for like sensory reasons. All you know is that life is really difficult for you for some unnameable reason. So you learn to pretend to be a non-autistic person. You mirror other people, you fake eye contact, even if it's really painful for you. You never complain, even if you're in constant pain from like the fluorescent lights over your head. And all of those things are what masking is. It's hiding your disability and pretending that you don't have needs because you've never been allowed to have them. Wow. So how can we be better supportive and how can people out there look for support if they're experiencing some of what you've been talking about? For me, it all comes down to community. I hear a lot from parents of autistic kids who after their kid gets diagnosed, they start connecting dots and realizing, oh, maybe I'm on the spectrum too. You know, maybe it's kind of, again, runs in our family. For both a kid or an adult who finds out they're autistic or thinks they might be, the number one thing I would always recommend is get out in the world and meet other autistic people. You'll feel a lot less alone and a lot less like there's something wrong with you once you realize you share these experiences and frustrations with lots of other people. And then you can help kind of trade tips and tricks for how to self-advocate, for how to get by in a world that wasn't built for you. And it just does so much, whether you're a kid or an adult, to help you unlearn that stigma that says that you're broken, to just be around other people who are like you and realizing, hey, this person's really cool and quirky and has a lot going on for them. Maybe I'm a lovable whole person too. Wow. Well, Devin, thank you so much. I wish we had more time. We covered so much ground today. I learned so much and I just thank you so much for giving us so much of your time and you gave us permission to just relax. So that is a gift. (laughs) Yes. Just take it easy. I need to take my own advice. You know, I need to constantly remind myself to do it, but disappoint someone today. Say no to something today. Just let something go. Your body will thank you for it. You got it. Devin, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right. You heard it here first. Disappoint someone. 
Take a break. Say no. I am here for that information. Such a wonderful discussion with Dr. Devin Price. So thank you all so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out mom to mom the TV show. If you are in the New England area, you can watch us Mondays at 1130 a.m. on NBC10 Boston. And if you're listening to us on whatever platform um, out there in the universe uh, via podcast, please like and review. It would mean a lot to me and it makes it you know, more discoverable for other people out there. So um, I'm going to go take a break and be lazy for a minute because we can. All right, guys, I'll see you next week.